uh, your windows are open. Uh, that's, this is not the Sunday for that, uh, so feel free to get up. We won't judge you uh, mildly. But anyways, yeah, seriously, there is a blue Honda uh, with windows open uh, out, in the, uh, out in the parking lot. Uh, this, is a, uh, this is football Sunday. You guys excited to go home and watch some football? Yeah? We, there's 12 of us from Wellspring that are in a fantasy football league, and uh, it's really cool that 11 of them are fighting for second place. And uh, so, but uh, today's a big Sunday, and this is uh, probably not the way to start a sermon on a Sunday by showing something that you probably you had to have seen in the media this week. Uh, Nike blew up social media. Nike blew up ads with, uh, with a picture like this. And uh, I can't give my opinion of this picture because it's already polarizing. This picture... If you, if you have an opinion of it, it's probably deep-rooted. And uh, if I was to give my opinion, here's, here's what I consider to be a sad thing. No matter my opinion, because in this room are people that would fall uh, on both sides of the equation. If I gave my opinion, there would be people that never walk foot, never walk in here ever again. Because this is more important than the gospel message. There are some of us that have fought over this issue more than we have for the gospel of Jesus Christ. I thought about it this week as Nike blew up, uh, blew up social media, and even people asked me, are you going to keep your Nikes? <laughs> what? <laughs> I thought about that. I, I went on and started reading comments in in blogs and whatnot, and, and on social media, how the ones that get the most comments with the most likes, they kind of come to the top, those comments. And what I was seeing was that this is ultimately an argument over freedom. I saw in the comment section that there would, there would be, among the top two or three or four comments in a comment section, ESPN, CNN, uh, Fox, whatever, uh, some of the comments, the ones that would rise to the top are the ones where a veteran is saying, no, I risked my life to give somebody the freedom to choose whether to stand or to kneel. And then you would have another veteran get on and say, no, I fought and I risked my life and you better stand and respect the flag that I fought to defend. So who's right? Who's wrong? What is freedom? What is the freedom we are fighting for? And is what we're fighting for, is it really more important than the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ? Isn't that potentially our fight? We're going to, we have to look at freedom. We have to define freedom the way that Christ would define it. For you and I, we, we can, we can, you can take that off the screen. We, we might define freedom as somebody that they graduate high school, they go to college, and they're no longer under their parents' rule, and so now they go to college. They have all the freedom in the world, and you're just sitting there as a parent hoping that they pass their courses. Is that freedom when you get to leave college, when you get to leave, leave home or whatnot and go to college? Is that what freedom is? Or is freedom, is freedom when, when you and I get the, the opportunity to fight for those less fortunate, then we get to fight for the socially oppressed, we get to fight for those, those people? Is that social freedom? Is, is that what freedom is? How you and I define freedom is so critically important because if we don't define freedom, 
as Christ would define freedom, when as Christ tells us to then walk in freedom, we won't walk in freedom unless we have the same definition as Christ has. We have to define it as Christ defines it. Otherwise, this whole pursuing better, this whole pursuing freedom is going to be in vain if the definition is different. And so we move on. We, we start this series called Pursuing Better. And this is what Paul says in, in chapter 5. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. So the big thought for this morning is that true freedom is found in Jesus. As you and I pursue freedom, here's the deal. We pursue freedom. We have our eyes fixed on Jesus. As we pursue freedom, as we watch a football game, as we pursue freedom, as we think about this, that, the other thing, the second our eyes are taken off of Jesus, we are losing sight of true freedom. And so true freedom is found in Jesus Christ. And so right from the beginning, he's saying, you're set free to live free. You are free, so be free. You, and it kind of sounds a little redundant, doesn't it? You're free to be free. But what he's, what he's getting at is this challenge that you and I have as believers in Jesus Christ. We have said yes to this beautiful relation with Jesus. We, we, have, we have said, hey, I'm a dirty, rotten sinner, and I'm in need of Jesus Christ. Yes, then technically we are free. We have been liberated. We have said, Jesus, you died for me. I am free. But then guess what? We're still here on planet Earth. And so now we're technically free, but now we're in the process of learning what freedom looks like. We're in the process of learning what it is to be free, to be free from the bondage of sin, to learn how to, how to live that free life, which isn't, isn't a lack of holiness, but now how to live out of a place of identity for holiness. You're free to become what you already are. And so... Paul goes on to tell us that our nature, once we're free in Jesus Christ, is to resort back to slavery, to resort back to, to bondage, to resort back. You can throw up that image when he says to put on that yoke of slavery, they would have this type of an image in mind of cows, cattle, whatever, walking around with something on their necks. With, without that on their necks, the one, each cow is able to go whichever way they want. Not that I'm <laughs> trying to call myself a cow, but, but like, like, like this is like they're, they're free to do, they're not free to do whatever they want. They're tied to one another. He's saying that, that you've said yes to Jesus Christ, and now you're going back to legalism? Now you're going back to I have to, I have to, I have to? You're going back to that bucket to refer to what we talked about last week. You're going back to that bucket where, where you have to earn, 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 and, you, and you have, you're finding, you, you've said yes to relationship with Jesus Christ, but now to earn acceptance in Jesus Christ, you have to carry on with all the thou shalts and thou shalt nots. If we're fully accepted in Jesus Christ, what more acceptance can you get? You're fully accepted. And so he says to throw off this, this bond of legalism, to throw it off, to have nothing to do with that, that slavery, and to put on Jesus Christ. That is to pursue better, to get rid of that bondage of religion. 
And so as we define freedom, Paul, what Paul's going to do in Galatians 5, verses 2 through 12, is he's going to show us two, two attributes, two lists, two, two ways of seeing freedom. We can see freedom through an egotistical way, or we can see three, freedom through Christ. We're going we're gonna to understand freedom so that we then understand how to defend freedom. And so he starts like this. He says, uh, the attributes of an egocentric freedom. Picking up now in verse 2, he says, look, I, Paul, we're in chapter 5. So Paul, Paul doesn't have to identify himself in chapter 5, but he does to remind them. This is me, Paul, writing. I used to be the, the Jew of all Jews. I used to be the Pharisee of all Pharisees. I used to be the lawkeeper of all lawkeepers. Remember who's writing this. Say to you that if you accept circumcision, the... Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. He points out three consequences to looking for the law, looking through the thou shalt, thou shalt not. And in the Jewish faith, we've mentioned this, that circumcision was the, was the law of all laws to keep. If you're going to be a law keeper, you better cut off a little piece of your body. Because that's what law keeping is. If you, if you don't have circumcision, then you got nothing. And that, that was the battle. That was the challenge. Can we let people into the church if they haven't been circumcised? Can you imagine if that was our test at the door? Instead of a, hi, how are you? Good to see you. And we're like, hey, if you cut your body, uh, you can come in. Crazy weird. And he looks at this, this legalistic approach to freedom, egocentric freedom. And he says, if, if you go that route, then what benefit is Christ? That's, that's one of the consequences of this legalistic approach, is that Christ is of no benefit. If you go back to that bucket, I'll, these buckets that I referred to last week, where, where the one bucket is every faith in the world outside of Christianity that says, do, 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 earn, 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 earn. And then if you're good enough, you get to go to heaven. And then there's the bucket of Jesus Christ, our faith, our relationship with Jesus that says, I did it all, just accept it that you can't, I did it, come to me in faith. If, if you go back to the approach of ignoring Jesus, throwing him potentially in this bucket as just a nice figure in history, then what, what benefit is Christ? Why was he here? And that's what Paul is getting at. If you're saying that you have to be circumcised to be in right standing before God, then what was the point of, of Christ's sacrifice on the cross. You're making it about your works. You're not making it about Jesus. You're snubbing the very one who died for the faith that you get to live out in freedom. He said, the second thing he alludes to is this, is this, is this has to, it smacked me that, that if you're going to go, the consequences to an egocentric uh, way to the gospel is that you're obligated to keep the whole law. Is that how you want to define freedom? I'm free to do, 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 earn, earn, earn. Well, here's the thing. If Christ, if God's demand on your life is perfection, then it just takes one to bring about imperfection. And so if you're going to make circumcision, law, the, the pinnacle of your faith, as you get to go to heaven by, by doing, 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 you make one mistake, you're imperfect. 
So to make one thing the focus, really you have to make it all the focus. Not be perfect in one area, but be perfect in all the areas. Paul's bringing out that logical thinking that if you're going to make circumcision the thing, then you really have to make it all the thing that matters because you have to be perfect. If you're obligated to one portion, you're obligated to it all. You can't pick and choose. Second thing, the third thing he talks about with an egocentric view of freedom is that you're then alienated from Christ. He doesn't say that you lose your salvation. He's saying that you're going a legalistic approach to the gospel, whereas then what benefit is Christ to you? If, he, if he's there walking with you, helping you pursue this, this better life, but now you're going through this works, I have to, I have to, I have to, then, then, you're, then where, where is grace in your life? Where are you showing grace to other people? The egocentric version of freedom makes you the focus, not Christ. It rests solely on your shoulders like it did for the cows with the yoke of slavery. So let me, let me illustrate it this way. I had Ava's permission to share this. I had a girlfriend before Ava. We don't talk about it, so I'll do it here. And I had this girlfriend where I was in college, and, and I pursued her. And I pursued her. And, and she wanted the pursuit, but she didn't want me. And then my ego got in the way. <laughs> because then I kept pursuing and pursuing and pursuing because I wanted to win the girl. I didn't really actually start, I actually kind of stopped caring about the girl. I just wanted to win the girl. And it was awful. It wasn't a healthy relationship. The most, the most, the, the most dramatic I've ever seen my dad get with me, the most, the most, straightforward he's ever been in a conversation with me using all sorts of words <laughs> was telling me that he hated that girl because she was changing me. And then I found Ava. And she wanted to be pursued. She wanted what I was trying to do. And we got married. And now I still pursue her not because I have to, not because I'm the center of that equation, not that I'm trying to win approval. I'm, I'm not trying to do, I just get to love my wife now. So in this ego, egocentric approach to the gospel, you're trying to earn approval from God. You live a life where you have to wonder, if I die, if I go home today, my tires are a little bald, and I crash my car, your life is tied up that I hope I've done enough to earn God's approval. You live your life with a giant what if. Did I do enough? And as I talk to you, and as we've had maybe gospel conversations, I will ask you, if you die, what, what saves you? And your response, 99% of the time, uses the word hope. I hope I'm good enough. I hope I haven't been bad enough for God to turn his back on me. Hope, 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 hope. Well, then there's the attributes of an ego, of a, not an egocentric freedom. Then there's the attributes of a Christ-centric freedom. That regards, and Paul goes on to say, and this is, this is my favorite verse in all of Scripture, for through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision 
nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. That's why we don't check you at the door. Circumcision don't matter. Jesus said it right here. But if I've ever sent you a postcard or a letter or something, I've probably included Galatians 5, 6. Because that is freedom. To understand Christ's freedom in my life as I pursue better, as I pursue this freedom, there, there are five things. We said three characteristics, three, three consequences to an egocentric uh, pursuit of that freedom. Well, here, here are five quick things that being free in Christ is being free to have a relationship. I'm not trying to earn the approval of the relationship. I have the relationship. That's freedom in Christ Jesus. Being free in Christ Jesus means that I'm no longer enslaved to sin. I'm no longer enslaved to keeping law, keeping doing, 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 and hoping that it ends up okay. That my freedom in Christ is that I'm no longer captive to that, but I have Christ. The curse of the law is gone over my life. That Christ has redeemed me. The blood of the sacrifice has washed over me. I have Jesus. And then the third thing that it does, our freedom, our Christ-centric freedom, is that then we get the Spirit of God living through us. Because I was unholy as I pursued, as I pursued perfection, I couldn't achieve perfection. So I'm unholy. The Spirit of the perfect God is not able to live inside of me because I'm full of imperfection. But the second I trust in Jesus Christ, I become holy. I am holy. And so a benefit to the freedom, the Christ-centric freedom, is that the Spirit of God lives inside of me. And it's proof that I have truly said yes to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The fourth benefit, the fourth element of a Christ-centric uh, freedom is that I have been liberated to live as God wants me to live. The Spirit of God living inside me, guess what? The Spirit of God has never looked at me in my life and said, you do you. The Spirit of God is not good with you do you. The Spirit of God wants me, desires me to live out my freedom as I pursue a life that wants to be more and more like Jesus. Not because I have to, because if I truly understand Jesus Christ, I live a life of gratitude towards my God. I adore him. I don't, I don't want, I don't, I don't want to just kind of stick my finger up to him in the sky and be like, well, thank you, and now to heck with you. No, what? Is that a relationship? I'm free to be what Christ wants me to be out of a place of I already, I already have it, so just be it. And my favorite thing about my freedom in Christ Jesus is that as I live out freedom, I'm living out a spirit of loving others. I get to love my God by loving you. I'm not, I'm not justified by doing works. I get to express my faith through love. But see, this, in this workspace, in this workspace thinking where I have to do, 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 doesn't, doesn't, that, doesn't that equate to living a life of bondage and fear? I hope, I hope, I hope. What if? I don't know. Like, this life sucks. Versus this life over here that says, I get to help paint a church. I get to love you. I get to have coffee with you. I get to, I get to express love to you, not because I'm trying to earn God's love, because that cheapens the love I show you, doesn't it? I already have God's love, so I get to love you in a very genuine, 
away. When we were chewing on our mission statement, guess what? It was for sure going to include the word love because that's the pinnacle of our faith. Our mission statement is that we exist to ignite a craving, not for us. Our, 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 we exist not to ignite a craving for anything but Jesus Christ, to love you, to relentlessly love our community in hopes that we wouldn't show you guys how to be legalistic, but that by loving you, that we would give you a snapshot of Christ's love for us. We exist to ignite a craving for Jesus by relentlessly loving our community, because if we are a church of faith, then we have to be a church of love. You can't have one. They go hand in hand. And Paul brings to mind, Paul, Paul talks about that this process of going from glory to glory. That, okay, that's cool, like, you're, you're saved, you have freedom, but, but this life is still really hard, and I still screw up sometimes. Like, are you a Christian, you know what you did last night? And you're like, I don't even know if I want to come to church. <laughs> it, 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 there's this hardship where we're, we, we know we're free, but now we're, we're but, and we know we have God's glory, but now we, we are going to heaven, and that, then, then we'll have true glory when we're in the presence of God, and we never sin ever again. But there's, there's a huge difference between I hope this turns out okay and, and, the, and I have hope. See, for me, I live my life every day not thinking I hope this turns out okay. I live my life every single day as one who has hope, and that makes the toughness of today bearable. A little more bearable. When I when I was uh, when we were starting this church, we we lived in Barnegat, and we bought a house in Bayville. And there was a month we got a pod, one of those like little like portable garages. We filled that thing to the max and uh, sent my kids to New Hampshire for a little bit, and we packed it and uh, packed it to the brim. And then and then we uh, and then so we emptied our house, we sold our house, and then we had this month gap where we were homeless. And, uh, and we were like, okay, end of January, we're going to move into a house that's going to be awesome. But there's this, there's this period of time that's really going to just be awful. And it was. Somebody gave us like a little bungalow on the island, on LBI, which was great. And, uh, and so we had, that, we had that little bungalow. The heat, the heat didn't work that well, and our car died in the middle of it, our van. So we only had our five-door, our five-door. Five door, our our four door Corolla that seats five, and we had a newborn baby, and it was just like it was the hardest, like literally the hardest month of my, of our lives, on paper, but we kept telling ourselves one more month, one more month, one more month. The hardship of living in that bungalow with a brand new child and two other boys that were crazy was that in a, in, a, in a few moments, we were going to be living in our house, and sometimes Abe and I even forget about that month. It's just a blimp on the radar because we had hope of what was coming. Imagine the crew that was setting up church today in the rain. <laughs> you know what we were telling each other? A few more weeks. <laughs> a few more weeks. A few more weeks. This is all over. <laughs> no more. We're going to have a building. We can, just, we can just come in and love people. <laughs> One more week. Not one more week, don't, no, no, no. A few more weeks, a few more weeks. It's, it's the person that works a terrible job that says yes to a really good job and gives their two-week notice. They finish out their two weeks, and during that two weeks, all of a sudden, they, they become a stellar employee <laughs> because they have the hope of in two weeks, they, they don't have to deal with all the garbage. They get to go to a job they're going to love. You and I have the hope of Jesus Christ that 
makes this life just a little bit more bearable. And so he says, because of that, that we should defend that freedom. We should defend that freedom because it's worth defending. Here's, here's the difference. Here's, here's how we could view it. If we're going we're gonna to celebrate football. Celebrate football. We're going to watch football this afternoon. You could view your life like how are you living? Why are you living the way you're living? So when we talk about freedom, when we talk about your spot on the team, some of us are living as if that, that you're going to tryouts and you already have a spot on the team. You know, that, you know that person that tries out, like the senior of the team, that they're trying out for the team, and they know they already have a spot, and so they can just go through tryouts, and they're free. Like, they're like, they can play their hearts out, but they're like, I already have a spot. And so they're, they're, they're not playing with any pressure versus the sophomore who's trying to earn a spot on the team and he was playing with all the pressure in the world, and they're getting, they're getting tight in their skill set. They're, they're not playing loose. They're not, they're not playing. like they're, they're all like, I don't know if I make a mistake, and it, it affects the way they play. So, so where are you on this equation? Are, 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 when you're playing the religious game, if you will, are you playing like you have a spot on the team, or are you playing like you're tight hoping you earn a spot on the team? And here's the sad reality for some of us as Christians. We fall in between. We have a spot on the team, but we no longer love the team. We're no longer that person that plays with love for the team and love for the game. I have a spot, and now I love the team. I love the game. And so I'm still, I'm still playing my heart out, even though I already have a spot. Some of us fall into the equation where we have a spot on the team, and we've fallen out of love with the team, and so now we're just like anybody else. So how are you living? Freedom must be defended. Paul Paul concludes our section by saying, you were running. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. One little thing can just throw the whole batch to garbage. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brother, still preach circumcision, why am I being persecuted? And this is, this is, in the case of the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Who said the Bible was boring? Do you realize what Paul just told a group of people to do? Go ahead and cut it all off. That's crazy. His passion is coming out. Because he understands what it's like to live legalistically. He cares about a group of people that says that life is garbage. He talks about this defense because he, he points out the people that are attacking it, these, 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 um, these, these, these false messengers who are, who, are, who are hindering obedience to the truth. They're not sent from God. They're, 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 they're contaminating good truth. They're a small little thing, but contaminating the whole batch, bringing a person to ruin. They're getting them off track, and because of Paul's love for the Galatians, he's good with they're going to be punished, and he wishes that they would go ahead and emasculate themselves. You're running. You're doing great. Great. And now this little thing is going to throw you off track? If, if, you're, if you were running such a good race, maybe here at Wellspring or in your Christian faith, you, you're looking back at the old days thinking, man, I used, to be the, I, I used to be that person in church. I used to be the person just loving my God and loving church, and now I'm not. I'm thankful just to be in my seat right now. And think back. What was it that got you off track? Was it a small little comment when you walked into church? 
Was it, was it a family member? What was it? Paul is looking at it and saying, somebody cut in on you. And it's as if, as it's, it's at, as if he's writing this letter and he's getting to this point in the book and his pen, his ink is getting darker and darker and darker as he's growing with anger for people that he loves and just saying, they're screwing with you. They cut in on you. I wish they would go ahead and cut it all off. Then the issue's dead. His passion for them boils over and says, I am going to defend this freedom. Check out the picture from this, this clip from this dad. To the chaotic and emotional scene in a courtroom, a distraught father lunging at Larry Nasser, the former Olympic doctor convicted of sexually abusing scores of young female athletes. Now, the father had just heard his own daughters read their victim impact statements. He is now apologizing, but also saying he wants Nasser to go to, quote, one of the deepest, darkest, hottest pits in hell. ABC's Ariel Reshef joins us with more this morning. Hi, Ariel. Hi, Paul and Dan. It was a dramatic day in court that father says he was unable to contain himself as he stared down the man accused of sexually assaulting his three daughters and hundreds of others. Judge, what a distraught father had a chance to say something. You son of a Raw emotion boiling over in a Michigan courtroom. Grant me five minutes in a locked room with this demon. This man knows what a healthy relationship should look like. How a man, a doctor, should treat a woman. Because he knows, a, he has a glimpse of healthy. He has his dad muscles coming out. He lunges at that man saying, just give me five minutes. And what dad wouldn't? I have a little girl. Like any dad, I have no clue what I would do in that circumstance. God help. He wanted to defend the honor of his girls because a freedom that is their purity was taken away from them. We have this beautiful freedom in the gospel to not have to live this legalistic approach to, to salvation. To what depths are we going to go when somebody comes in with this, this garbage? Are we going to go to depths to, to protect, like a young man protecting his child? Do our, do our, instead of daddy claws, do our gospel claws come out? And so true freedom truly is found in Jesus Christ. We've seen the attributes of an egocentric relationship, or to, uh, freedom. We've seen the attributes of a Christ-centric, and now we're saying that we must defend that freedom. And here's the juxtaposition, though. Here's, here's the crazy thing about what Paul is saying. He's saying that our freedom in Jesus Christ is found in our slavery, He's saying that our, we're free to be who we want to be, but our freedom is found in that we are slaves to Christ. And, and that seems counterintuitive, doesn't it? That, that we would be enslaved to somebody, but then that is, that is then our, our freedom. Uh, like I said, I'm a married man. I'm married to Ava. Here's how I could illustrate this. I, I, in some definitions of the world, have the freedom to do whatever the heck I want. Ava would disagree with that. I'm enslaved to her. I'm not going to go home and say, babe, I'm enslaved to you. That doesn't make any sense. I could have the attitude of, yeah, that's my, that's my ball and chain. I, have a, I put a ring on her finger. She's it. What I got. This is, this is my cross to bear. I got Ava. She's my 
She's my girl. That's what slavery feels like. But I am in love with Ava. I am enslaved to her, and she's my girl. She is my ride or die. She's it. And I am so thankful for her. I want the ring on her finger and no other finger. So yes, I'm enslaved to her, but because of Ava, it doesn't feel that way. It feels awesome. I get to, to love my wife. I get to pursue her. And that's what we have. We, yet we are enslaved to Christ, but when we think about who Christ is, it doesn't feel like slavery. It just feels awesome. You, you, your marriage might fall into, your marriage or your relationship with God might, might fall into one bucket where you feel like, I have to, I have to, I have to. I'm doing, I'm doing, I have to love my wife. Yeah, it's Valentine's Day. I have to buy her flowers. I have to show her that I care. Versus I get to love my God. Versus I get to show my wife freedom. Versus my freedom, absolutely. I get to show my wife care and, and concern. That's more of the healthy relationship where I get to just do it. Not because I have to, just because I want to. And so if anybody was to come in and mess with my freedom that I have with Ava, I'll defend it. Freedom in Jesus Christ is not independence. Freedom in Jesus Christ is interdependence. Where we depend on Jesus Christ to live his life through us. It's not to be whoever, whoever you want to be. It's to be who Christ has called you to be. That's what freedom in Christ is. Freedom in Christ means that I get to love you. Freedom in Christ means that I get to love God by loving you. Freedom in Christ means that I am holy, so now I live out of a place of holiness. I'm not trying to earn God's approval. My freedom in Christ is that I have God's approval. And if you want that freedom, all, it doesn't mean that you start now keeping a list of do's, 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 do's. I have to, I have to, I have to. You want that freedom. It's, 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 it's confessing, God, I am imperfect. And I need your son. I want this freedom. And so I say yes to your son and his finished work on the cross. And I want that life. And I trust that he rose from the grave conquering death so I could have life. And then you live out of a place of freedom, which is much like what Paul was saying in Colossians 2. He says, therefore, as you have received Christ, Christ is your confession. Christ is your everything. Christ then is Jesus the Lord, not just a religious figure in a bucket, not just I, I'll throw him in the midst of all Gandhi and Buddha. He's just that. Yeah, no, he is Lord. So now walk with him. Be continue to walk, be rooted and built up in him and established in faith just as you were taught what? Abounding in thanksgiving. You said yes to Jesus Christ because all that I have to's I have to's didn't get you anywhere. And now, how do you move forward? What does pursue better look like? Pursue better looks like that one word at the very end, thanksgiving. And so on paper, our marriages might look the same. On paper, you and I might have the same marriage. You might buy your wife flowers on, on Valentine's Day. You might go home and be like, and give your wife a kiss hello. But for some of us, the difference is this. I go home and give my wife a kiss because I'm in love with her, not that I'm fearful that she's going to slap me upside the head and say, where's my kiss? Uh, I don't pursue Ava wondering, I have to, I have to, I have to, and I don't want my life to be hell on earth. Happy wife, happy life. I, I better keep Ava happy, otherwise my life is going to suck. 
I get to. We might do the exact same things in our relationship, but there is a world of difference between I have to and I get to. Your, your faith, your faith in religion, you and I might do the exact same things from a religious standpoint. You might come to church. You might read your Bible. You might go to a life group. You might serve. You, you might give. You might do a whole bunch of things. And there is a world of difference between a relationship with God that says, I have to do all of those things because I hope I get his approval when I die. Versus me who gets to do all of those things. Because God so loved the world, he gave one and only son, whoever believes in him will not perish, but has eternal life. I'm so thankful for that. So I come here with joy. I worship with joy. Pursuing better is saying yes to Jesus Christ and saying, God, it is my honor, it is my joy to live now the holiness that is mine. And so we're going to end now in worship. Because I am prayerful that in this, in this moment where we've chewed on God's scripture together, that we're not going to worship because we have to. We're going to worship because we get to. So let's pursue better and worship together. Thank you so much for watching. If this was your first time with us, we hope you enjoyed that message. And if you call Wellspring Church home, different ways to give are listed in the video description below. And please subscribe to our Facebook, Instagram, and this YouTube channel to be kept up in all the newest content from Wellspring Church.